Hello and welcome to Season of the Bitch, the leftist podcast voted hottest and smartest for five years running. Today we have Kellen, Ozzy, and Zoe. And today we are talking about the midterms. Um, I want to start off by saying this will not be a shaming podcast. If you didn't vote, whatever, we understand there are plenty of good reasons to choose not to vote for either party in a capitalist bourgeois election. Also, if you did vote, we understand there are also good reasons to vote for Democrats as harm reduction, especially depending on where you live. So just like want to get that out of the way now. No shaming one way or the other, whether you voted or not. There this are episode's- both amongst us. <laughs> that's all we'll say <laughs> um yes so this episode today is basically just going to be breaking down the results of the midterms from our particular perspective which is of course a leftist feminist perspective um i also just want to say that we are recording this on the afternoon of wednesday november 9th so the day after election day as a result you'll be getting our takes hot and fresh out of the oven um but there are it's possible that by the time this comes out on thursday for patreon and friday for general listeners that some things may have changed some undecided elections may have been decided so just keep that in mind as you're listening but to just get into the big takeaways um it seems like the biggest takeaway from the night um, to like briefly descend into pundit brain is that Democrats did a lot better than they were expected to do, even though a lot of the results are still out. Um, it is kind of this like truism in American politics that the party with the presidency loses ground congressionally in the first midterm after the election of that president. Um, there's some notable exceptions like the fir- first like post 9-11 midterms in 2002 were like an obvious recent one. But given that this was not seeming to be a special situation, um, it was basically expected that the Democrats were going to see some net losses. Um, And the million dollar question was basically how big those losses were going to be. Just to kind of get into on a national level what we're looking at. At the time of our recording, Democrats have 48 confirmed Senate seats, and this includes Bernie Sanders, um, who's obviously not a Democrat, but caucuses with them, and Republicans have 49 confirmed Senate seats. There are, at this time, three races that are still outstanding, Nevada, which is leaning Republican, Arizona, which is leaning Democrat, and Georgia, which is um, headed for a runoff. And so it's very likely, actually, that we will not know which party will have control over Congress until after the December Georgia runoff. Um, and key reminder here, of course, is that if the Senate is split 50-50, which is a likely outcome, that Kamala Harris becomes the deciding vote as vice president and essentially gives the Democrats majority status. Although, of course, not a big enough majority to head off the filibuster, which for some fucking reason we still have. As for the House of Representatives, it is very much up in the air at the time of this recording. Um, There's like literally dozens of seats that haven't been called yet. Um, But 538, um, thank you, Nate Silver, for providing this. We hate you, but I'm still going to use your analysis. Um, 538 is projecting that Republicans will probably take the House. So we'll see what happens. We'll see where we stand on Friday. But that's kind of the, the national rundown. And I know that like Zoe wanted to give us a little deep dive into what's going on in their home state, current home state of Illinois. Sure. So 
Okay, full disclosure to the listeners. I thought that the other co-hosts were going to have a reporting live from New York, where they all are. Um, but no, so this is an Illinois <laughs> podcast now. <laughs> <laughs> um, I currently live in Illinois. I forget constantly. I think Chicago exists as its own entity. Um, that's what I get for like living in D.C. for a while, which just is its own entity. Yeah, so a few exciting or completely fine things happened in Illinois. (laughs) Um, The first I would say is pretty exciting. So there was a constitutional amendment for workers' rights, which passed. And this amendment will add a new section to the Bill of Rights article of the Illinois Constitution that guarantees workers the fundamental right to organize and to bargain collectively and to negotiate wages, hours, and working conditions, and to promote their economic welfare and safety at work. So this new amendment will also prohibit from being passed any new law that interferes with, negates, or diminishes the right of employees to organize and bargain collectively over their wages, hours, and other terms and conditions of employment and workplace safety. Um, So yeah, that's a pretty big statewide um, protection that's now in place. The Illinois governor race, which was pretty big, and I'm saying Mm. that because I got a lot of Hulu ads nonstop for the past month or so, (laughs) which were annoying to me. Um, (laughs) But the Democratic incumbent one, which was like definitely the best option, um, J.B. Pritzker is fine. And he's he's done done some good things. Like Mm. overall, I mean, he's a dem, like a a dem dem, but he raised minimum wage. Yes, absolutely a billionaire. He's still like for a billionaire and for a Democrat, like J.B. Pritzker kind of fucks. Exactly. You gotta respect that. <laughs> um, he raised minimum wage. He extended the protections for abortion, um, which Illinois has like the strongest protections in this region of the country. Um, he expanded trans health care, ended cash bail, which was a huge thing that his opponent was like playing to, being like, Can you believe the end of bail? All these crimes. They were like, It's Gotham City up in here. It was ridiculous. Oh my God. Um I was like, if I This commercial needs to end. Um, (laughs) (laughs) He did some environmental protections and he brought an elected school board to Chicago, which Chicago is one of few places where there was not Mm -hmm. an elected school board. And it was very fucked up and also legalized cannabis. Hell yeah. Um, So he also attempted one of his big campaign promises, which was to implement the fair tax, but... That was thwarted by an even richer billionaire who dropped $54 million to fight against having um, to pay more taxes. Oh, my God. Worth noting, I suppose, that the state Senate and state House also remained with a very large majority of Dems. Um, Whatever that's worth, there it is. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then I just wanted to share a few people who were elected who are... Somewhat of note, somewhere along a more progressive line, however much you think that's possible in electoral politics, which perhaps my opinion is showing, but I will tell you anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so Mike Simmons, who is now Illinois' 7th District State Senator, is um, he, he's a well-liked guy. Since taking office, he has really hit the ground running. He sponsored a lot of bills and passed some pretty cool legislation, such as the Jet Hawkins Act, which prohibits discrimination against natural hair in Illinois' schools. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I thought that was very interesting. I hadn't really heard of legislation um, mm-hmm. about that before. 
He also um, supported a bill that expanded student mental health care access and championed a bill in the Senate that was introduced in the House by um, Kelly Cassidy, which allowed PrEP and PEP to be available over the counter in pharmacies, which is also pretty big and not a common thing to have. So his impact has been far beyond Springfield, which is where his district is. He's also Illinois' first openly um, queer state senator and has been fighting for the residents of his district by actively protesting gentrification, standing up for bodily autonomy, and um, fighting against a lot of like right-wing bullshit that comes up in Illinois. Um, he's also been endorsed by the Chicago Teachers Union, Equality Illinois, Planned Parenthood, Personal PAC, the Illinois Education Association, Network 49, and One People's Campaign. So, you know, crowd fave. They like him. Me? Never really heard of him. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then just a couple more people. So the next person is Senate District 25, or State Senator of District 25, Karina Villa. And Karina comes from a working class background and was a school social worker for many years. So I, I got a repper. We love a social worker sometimes. Hell yeah. Karina supports mm-hmm. single payer health care for Illinois. Also supports comp- uh, like more school funding for public schools via that and a significant increase in school social workers and mental health professionals. Um, which is a major demand of the Chicago Teachers Union, if you're not aware. And um, she's also big in fighting back against elder abuse in her district and making public services and citizenship more accessible to um, immigrants and undocumented folks. And so this has been a really major shift for her district because um, it was under a very conservative Republican reign prior to her initial 2018 win. And then lastly, we have um, the House, what are they called? House member? <laughs> House representative? Yeah, I think any of those things work. What do you call them? Okay, I love politics. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love elected officials. Um, the, the person of the House District 21, um, <laughs> whose name is Adbul Nasser Rashid, is now the first Muslim and first Palestinian in the General Assembly of Illinois. Um, so that is cool. He's a former staffer for David Orr and Chai Garcia and the Illinois Coalition for Immigrant and Refugee Rights. So Rashid's platform showcases his background in grassroots grassroots politics and the anti-corruption themes of his campaign, um, particularly focusing on taking down public utility and corporate corruption, protecting abortion rights, passing common sense gun laws, and expanding tax credits for working class families. Oh, and then one last thing worth noting. Um, Illinois is one of a majority of states where people vote for their Supreme Court judges and a Democrat won. So that's like good enough, I guess. North Carolina is also a place where the Supreme Court, state Supreme Court is elected and it went badly there. So (laughs) different strokes, different folks. (laughs) Um, Now I think we're going to talk about some like specific races that were important that are, you know, kind of just like worth knowing about um, as we look ahead to like what national politics are going to look like for the next couple of years. Um, So the first one I wanted to talk about is the Arizona Senate race, um, which is one of the previously mentioned undecided races. Sorry, a car, a giant bus or a truck is going by my house. Let me start over. 
So I wanted to start with the Arizona Senate race, which is one of the aforementioned undecided races as of right now. It pits Mark Kelly, a Democrat that I don't know very much about because he seems boring, against Blake Masters, who, as far as I can tell, is essentially a fascist. Um, At the time of this recording, Masters is down by five points, which is great news. Um, But there's about a third of the vote that just is still like uncounted. So it still could go either way. Just like some background on Blake Masters. He's like big buddies with Peter Thiel. I believe they actually like wrote a book together. Um, He has said that he believes the 2020 election was fraudulent. He has called for he previously had called for like the overturn of Roe v. Wade, which like he was shocked. But he has also called for the overturn of the Supreme Court decision in Griswold v. Connecticut, which is the one that says that we should be able to get birth control. Love that. He has claimed that Democrats are trying to engage in social engineering by bringing non-white immigrants into the country illegally to outnumber white people, like pure like great replacement theory stuff. He has said that America's gun problem is actually a quote-unquote black people problem. That is an actual quote. Um, He has called abortion, quote, demonic and, quote, a genocide. Um, Just bad, I would say. Um, The early signs are positive that he may not make it into the Senate, but we will have to wait and see. You hate to see it. The other, like, big undecided race that we wanted to talk about is the Georgia Senate race, which pits sitting Senator Raphael Warnock against Herschel Walker. Um, For those who don't remember, Warnock joined Congress in a special election just two years ago and is already up for re-election, which is obviously not how it usually works in the Senate, which has six-year terms. Um, Warnock is a Black pastor who is also a relatively progressive member of the Democrat uh, Democrats Senate lineup, which is which is great. Um, his opponent, Herschel Walker, is a f- former football player from Georgia and what I would call a professional menace. Um, just like really no other way to describe this man than a menace. Um there's been so many stories swirling around about him his own child who is um christian walker who's the very famous like gay black tiktok conservative um has come out being like my father fucking sucks like don't vote for him which is impressive because he is as established like a fully like famous for being a republican kid um he there are like so many stories that keep coming out about Herschel Walker like paying women to get abortions despite the fact that he um claims to be a pro quote-unquote pro-life um like so many abortions this man cannot be stopped he is a menace um also all of his policies are terrible but like as an interpersonal sort of just thing menace um so currently the race is too close to call. Warnock is leading by about 0.9% of the counted vote, and it is looking like neither candidate is going to get over 50%. And if you're wondering how that's possible, it's because there's also a libertarian candidate who ran, who received about 2% of the vote, and whose participation in this race means that Warnock and Walker Walker are headed for a two-man runoff next month, which is what happens per Georgia law if no candidate wins an outright majority of the vote. So 
this could have very serious consequences and would once again make democratic control of the Senate contingent on Raphael Warnock winning his election in Georgia. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to talk a little bit about the mayor's race in Los Angeles, my hometown, uh, which is a race between demon Rick Caruso and regular <laughs> ass lady Karen Bass. Um, <laughs> Bass is currently a U.S. House representative. And if elected, she would be the first woman to be elected as mayor of L.A. and only the second black person to be mayor. Um, Rick Caruso, on the other hand, is a billionaire real estate developer who describes himself as a, quote, business innovator and philanthropist, which is haunting. Um, so as of the time we're recording this, only about 44% of votes have been counted. Uh, Rick Caruso right now has a small lead over Karen Bass. It's 51.2% to 48.8%. Um, so that is something that I'll be continuing to watch. Um, by the time this comes out, we may know more, but it's looking like it's going to be very close. Um, Caruso has been getting a lot of support from fellow like rich people, celebrities <laughs> um, in California. So that includes Elon Musk, Gwyneth Paltrow, Kim Kardashian, also some more like celebrities who have more of maybe like a liberal like image that they're trying to keep up like snoop and Katy perry uh both supported him so you know it's bad um he's definitely in this category that i think we're going to talk more about in a little bit of like candidates who are sort of getting this like celebrity like reality tv sort of boost um despite kind of a lack of really like robust uh experience or like knowledge about government um, I think Caruso's main sort of like experience before this is he was president of the L.A. Police Commission, um, which is, you know, like supposedly a body that exists to sort of like oversee police from like a citizen perspective. But obviously he didn't do a great job with that because Lord. the LAPD continues to do horrific shit. Um, he also spent over a hundred million dollars of his own money on his oh campaign He's this, like, big real estate guy in L.A. He owns, like, one of the famous, like, rich people malls there called The Grove. Um, he has spent a lot of his campaign advocating for anti-housing policies, essentially. Policies that are just going to further oppress poor and unhoused people in L.A. Um, he also has been a big Republican donor in the past. He contributed almost a million dollars to Senator Mitch McConnell and former President George W. Bush. Um, he has specifically gotten criticism for that and kind of for like donating to candidates who oppose abortion rights. Um, basically, he tried to counteract that by donating to the ballot measure in L.A. Um, that's enshrining abortion rights. Um and he donated, I believe, $100,000 to that, which is kind of funny considering he gave $100 million to his own campaign. And then he's like, <laughs> don't worry, I do support abortion. But like $100,000 is a negligible amount of money for him. Um, so I don't know. This is definitely like one that I'm going to be watching, obviously, as like having an interest in L.A. Um, not being a, a completely terrible place to live. But... <laughs> It's not, you know, it's not looking great right now. I think it's still possible that Bass could win, but we're just going to have to wait and see. So yeah. 
good luck karen one of the things that's been interesting to me as a not an la person that's just like kind of following this a little bit because of obviously it's like la is a major city it's important but also like rick caruso has been variously identified like as a republican and an independent for his whole life um and only registered as a democrat in 2022 like this year so that he could like feasibly run for mayor of LA. yeah he's definitely someone who's been described as like a fake democrat i think um some comedian was like criticizing some of the celebrities who have supported him and said they voted for him by being like he's just a fake democrat and you're gonna regret Mm. this which democrats are real just wondering i mean mean, they're definitely (laughs) (laughs) definitely, unfortunately real democrats like unfortunately you know i mean yeah that's the thing is it's like i don't even think it's that much of like a departure in Mm. california particularly in big cities like la um and san francisco like housing and real estate money is a really Mm. big force in even in like democratic Democratic politics politics, because it's just such a like prevalent industry but a lot of these people like their actual politics is just being rich. Like, right. so I feel like it's easy for him to like sort of flip flop between parties mm-hmm. or be like, I'm an independent or whatever, but it's like, ultimately doesn't really matter. He is evil. Like, right. I don't right. care what you call yourself. Um, you have too much money and you're spending it on evil things. <laughs> um, so another um, race that we wanted to talk about is um, the race for governor in Georgia. And this one got a lot of attention because Stacey Abrams was running. Um, obviously, she is uh, kind of a celebrity in her own right in the Democratic Party. Um, she ran against sitting governor and absolute terror, Brian Kemp, um, who is perhaps most famous nationally for his just absolutely unrelenting efforts at voter suppression as governor and then also as secretary of state before that, which have largely been geared towards disenfranchising poor people and black and brown people and other likely Democratic voters. Um Kemp beat Abrams by about seven points, which is um, bad news, uh, especially because, as I just said, he is somebody working extremely hard to undermine any semblance of democracy in Georgia. Like, he has literally taken um, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of, like, over a million, at least, people off of voter rolls in Georgia, which is insane. Um but I also think that this race like raises this larger issue of Democrats running serial losers over and over again. Um, like Stacey Abrams did good Serial losers. <laughs> like I, I don't want to discount what Stacey Abrams did as a mobilizer and an organizer in the 2020 election that put Warnock in the Senate um, alongside fellow, fellow Democrat um, and also fellow newcomer John Ossoff. But like, this exact race played out in 2018 and she lost that time too. Like Kemp beat her in 2018. He beat her in 2022. I'm just not sure it's a great idea to do the same thing all over again, four years later. Um, I can't wait for Hillary to run for president again. Right. Exactly. Like that's, it's, that's the same vibe though. It is. Like this person just lost um, and did like a really bad job. What if we had them try again? Um, and I think the same thing could be said about Beto, bless his heart, who keeps losing statewide elections in Texas. Like, do I have an uncomfortable attraction to this man that I need to reckon with? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> do I think that the Democrats should 
keep nominating him even though he keeps losing no um and like this brings to mind this kind of like ever-present question where democrats are concerned which is like how interested in winning are you actually because like you have what essentially amounts to these like celebrity loser candidates like beto o'rourke who are well liked in certain sectors of the electorate especially in the national electorate not within their actual states who can bring in these big out-of-state donors with lots of money for democrats because people in california or whatever like them but they can't win their actual elections so like again i'm wondering how much the democratic party is actually invested in like unseating greg abbott as governor of texas as opposed to getting a shit ton of money by running beto against greg abbott kind of regardless of what actually happens anyway that's my conspiracy brain is it a conspiracy or are we watching it happen yeah right (laughs) many times over yeah um and the the another race that I just wanted to draw like brief attention to, which was painful, was the Senate race in Kentucky, which pitted Rand Paul, um, who was famously assaulted by his hero neighbor. We love to see it against Charles Booker. Um, and this is painful. Rand Paul won the Senate race. Um, it was called pretty early on Tuesday. And with like 75% of the vote reporting, Paul had a roughly 60 to 40 percentage point lead over Booker. And I just wanted to acknowledge that I hate to see this for a number of reasons. Um, Charles Booker, first of all, was the first black person to ever win a majority party nomination for senator in Kentucky. So Kentucky has never elected a black person to Senate. And this is in 2022, the first time that a black person has ever even been the choice for a major party, um, which I did not know um, until researching for this episode, but I am also not surprised by um, and I also just want to, like, give Booker credit for being, like, a very progressive candidate. Um, he had run for Senate in 2020 and was, like, undermined by the Democratic Party in Kentucky in favor of Amy McGrath, who is um, one of the most boring white bread moderate Democrats to have ever lived. Um And I also like want to point out that while he lost pretty significantly by about 20 percentage points, um, it's also worth noting that Amy McGrath also lost by about 20 percentage points and spent $94 million on her race, whereas Charles Booker spent $6 million on his race to achieve exactly the same um, effect, which again suggests to me that Democrats are very interested in raising money and not very interested in winning perhaps but anyway i digress um charles booker did win the primary this time around he was advocating for positions like he had positions in a you know support of medicare for all in support of a green new deal in support of universal basic income um and has also been like very vocal about um his own experiences as a working class person so like on the campaign trail for example he shared his experiences as a diabetic rationing insulin because of the cost um and on tuesday in the general election he won big in kentucky's two major urban centers lexington and louisville and and louisville's where he's from um but lost in the other more rural parts of the state 
which swung for Rand Paul, although it is worth noting that he pulled in more votes than expected from the Eastern Appalachian regions. Um, and if you want to hear more about Booker and if you want to hear from Booker himself, I just want to do a little plug. The Trailblazers did have him on when he was running for the nomination in 2020. So it's it's worth going back and checking that out. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I wanted to talk a little bit more. I guess I'm thinking of this section as kind of like Trump light candidates. Um, basically, since Trump ran for president, I think like a lot of people have realized that it is possible to take this like reality TV fame and turn it into something like actual political power. Um, and it kind of feels like there's been this wave of essentially reality TV candidates um, this election season and generally candidates who are like most known for sort of going viral on the internet. Um, <laughs> I think perhaps most hauntingly a candidate who was endorsed by Trump, Dr. Oz himself. Mm -hmm. um, so this is a Senate race in Pennsylvania. Uh, Dr. Oz is running against John Fetterman. Um, John Fetterman thankfully won this race. It's been called now. Um, it's by a pretty small margin. He got only 50.5% of the vote. Um, but still, he was like solidly 3% ahead of Dr. Oz. There were some other smaller candidates that got some of the vote as well. Um, this race has been in the news a lot. I think folks probably will remember that like bizarre video where Dr. Oz claims to be at a grocery store called Wegner's, which is not <laughs> a real grocery store, um, and basically just appears to have never bought groceries in his entire life or possibly <laughs> like held food. Um, he's like trying to explain inflation as it relates to like party snack prices, but it's just a very um, weird, like cursed video. <laughs> um, yeah, I think also, you know, Maybe more disturbingly than that, Dr. Oz spent a lot of like the last part of the campaign making fun of John Fetterman for having suffered a stroke, which is like really classic taking a page out of Trump's mm. book of mocking people with disabilities. Um, Fetterman has been experiencing like some speech, like auditory processing issues since the stroke. Um, and Dr. Oz like called that out in their debate and made fun of him. He also ran an ad in August that featured an animated version of Fetterman's head, like, breaking open. And it's supposedly oh. like, oh, like, all these crazy policy ideas are spilling out. Um, and Oz's campaign advisor also made fun of Fetterman's weight and blamed that as the reason for him having the stroke. Um, so... Thankfully, while Dr. Oz has said that there was, quote, definitely fraud in Biden's election, he doesn't seem to be following the Trump playbook of refusing to accept his loss in the election. He has conceded yeah. the race. Um, so he can now return to just like scamming people with fatal illnesses <laughs> out of their small amount of savings with fake unproven cures. Um, good for him. The one funny thing about this is that Trump is apparently very annoyed that Dr. Oz didn't win, which just, you know, is funny to me. Um, still terrifying that Dr. Oz, like, exists as a person, but yeah. there we I saw, go. I saw um, a tweet claiming that um, Donald Trump is now blaming Melania for advising him to support Dr. Oz and saying it was not one of her like best decisions. Yes, I, I saw that also, which is like, I don't know. He has to find someone to blame. I feel like he yeah. can't just be like, I fucked up. Um, I think it's hilarious that it's like, this is Melania. Like, 
I mean, I'm sure like I don't I'm not out here trying to like, you know, defend Melania, but being like it, it's her fault I endorsed Dr. Oz is very funny to me. Right. It is especially funny given that this is like a, like literally the most direct sort of like carbon copy of Trump exactly. like in a new race and I think the fact that that is not was not successful is like Mm-hmm. very reassuring to me um and i think it makes sense that trump is like uniquely sort of mad about that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um another trump endorsed candidate that we have to talk about is carrie lake um so this is the governor race in arizona uh lake is running against katie hobbs who currently though the race is still too close to call at the time of recording um Katie Hobbs has a slight, like, less than 1% lead. Um, So that's, again, just, like, it looks like it's going to be very close. Um, So this is an interesting race. Lake is a former Fox News anchor of one of the most watched local news programs in Arizona. So definitely one of those people whose job is, like, making white people afraid to leave their homes because of, like, (laughs) random exaggerated crime statistics um and trump endorsed her partly because he saw like how popular she was and how much people seemed to like her um amongst his base so i was looking at this pretty extensive investigation that time magazine did with like all of lake's former co-workers at fox news they like interviewed a ton of people about her history um So according to her Fox Newsroom colleagues, she was never outspoken about politics previously, and she really specifically became disillusioned with journalism after the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, She said, quote, I don't know how anybody is still a journalist after coming through COVID, to be honest. You couldn't question anything about COVID. That's where I had a problem. I just felt like, wow, this has ceased being journalism. It is pure propaganda, unquote. which is, you know, haunting. Um, Lake <laughs> has also been a big fan of Trump. Her coworkers say that even when Trump first started running, like that's kind of when she really became more openly political. She would like pressure producers to cover what she saw as Trump's side of the story, which were often just like absurd conspiracy theories, mm-hmm. including she wanted to run a segment on ivermectin the horse medication being a successful (laughs) COVID treatment. And everyone at Fox News was like, no, we're not going to do that. And she was really mad about that. Um, So she claimed initially that she left journalism looking for like, essentially just any kind of like private sector job. Apparently she considered working in virtual reality briefly. (laughs) um, But ultimately she decided to try to like parlay her media popularity into politics. Um, And she said specifically, quote, I realized during COVID, I think the whole country realized just how powerful our governors are. They had the power to do right or they could really mess our lives up. Unfortunately, too many of them messed our lives up and shut our schools down, masked our children, closed our businesses, shut our churches down, quarantined healthy people. It was coming from governors. The first half Um, of that quote, I was like, we're really on the same page here. Right. And then it's like, (laughs) it's like, they had me in the first half, not gonna lie. Um, But it's just, it's so like horrifying to me that that Mm. is like the specific angle she's coming from is Mm. like, I want to be governor so that I can like get rid of COVID restrictions, Um, which, you know, largely don't even exist anymore. But it's like, The fact that that is the thing where she was like, this is all a media conspiracy theory, and now I want to be governor so I can, like, force people (laughs) not to wear masks. Um, 
So, you know, obviously that's very concerning. Also, if Lake does win, she would be the one overseeing Arizona's next election, which is concerning because she said that Joe Biden, quote, lost the election and shouldn't be in the White House. And Mm. she's also claimed that she wouldn't have certified Biden's victory in Arizona in 2020. So that is like a possibly like nationally significant thing that she could be in charge of um Mm -hmm. even like moderate politicians are describing her as like a threat to american democracy um and obviously she also would have a lot of power over like some of these big sort of flashpoint issues um that have become partisan for some reason such as like (laughs) abortion and whether we can teach that slavery existed Um, And she's planning to, if she wins, to try to, like, sue the Biden administration on a lot of these questions, um, specifically around the education stuff um, and um, some immigration issues as well that she obviously has terrible beliefs on. Mm -hmm. So, you know, even if she does not win this election, which hopefully she does not, um, people have been speculating that Trump might tap her as a running mate for 2024. So, she she really does seem to be like an upcoming uh voice of the republican party in some ways and i think like a good metric of like what things may look like in the coming years even if she doesn't win the specific race which is terrifying but here we are yeah Ugh. <laughs> to turn i guess to like the final um trump light candidate that we wanted to talk about today um jd vance was running for senate in ohio against tim ryan yes that's right yale educated best-selling author and detestable swamp creature jd vance has won election to the senate um if you don't know who that is he's a venture capitalist he wrote hillbilly elegy which is a very shady book that liberals were nonetheless raving about like five years ago um so congratulations you played yourself uh it was very obvious from the book that he was a conservative jackass but it is worth noting that he has really like out conservative jackassed himself in this race so just to like list a few of the horrifying positions that he took he is anti-choice and once said in reference to the possibility of people having abortions after being raped that quote two wrongs don't make a right um relatedly he has repeatedly endorsed a variety of white nationalist talking points about birth rates about women staying in abusive marriages and about how the fact that they have the option to leave being a problem for american families um about how yeah people who enter the country illegally are dirty etc like you know great replacement theory type stuff um you in short i think we've said it before it is worth saying again jd vance is an enemy of the pod um i think that concludes our like the the, just like the list of elections that we wanted to pay attention to of races i guess i should say and we're going to turn to some other like ballot measures um and things that were going on across the country now yeah so a couple of exciting things um I mentioned in the beginning and slash on other episodes, I used to live in DC. So Maryland legalized recreational weed. We love to love see it. Um, and honestly, when I first saw this, I was surprised because in my mind, it had already happened a while ago. <laughs> um, so I lived in DC from around like 2014 to 2018 in that time frame, And I had a medical card 
Um, I was in D.C. proper. But you could also get medical cards in Maryland at the time. And then it also became recreational in D.C. Um, I th- want to say 2017, somewhere in there as well. Um, and just generally like Maryland, primarily Maryland, often Virginia, but Virginia is a more complicated state, um, typically follow D.C. on a lot of these sorts of things because so many people commute and work and like live across those boundaries. So there's a ton of overlap. Like you didn't hear for me, but there was nothing like stopping someone who lived in like, <laughs> Maryland or Virginia from like buying recreational weed in DC and going home. Um, but I didn't <laughs> tell you that. Um, but anyway, I'm happy for them. I'm glad that, that it's official. I didn't know it wasn't. And now I'm happy that it is. <laughs> and then the other thing in DC is that. Um, they voted to phase out a tipped minimum wage, meaning that initiative 82 passed. So under this law, employers of employees classified as tipped workers can take a credit against tipped wages received by workers to satisfy the minimum wage guaranteed to all workers by law. And so with the initiative, or that's the current law. So with the initiative, they can gradually eliminate the credit such that the mandatory base wage, which is currently $5.05 per hour, um, oh, indexed God. to inflation, paid to empl- paid to employees can increase until 2027 when the mandatory base wage will match the minimum wage established by DC, which is currently $15.20 per hour, um, and that's indexed to inflation as well. Um, and so tips will continue to be a property of the employees, um, meaning that those do not get taxed. Um, or don't get like taken percentages of by employers and will be in addition to the statutory minimum hourly wage. Um, you love to see that. Sorry. Tips can get taxed, but again, that is based on what you report. You did not hear that from me either. Um, (laughs) I misspoke there. That was my Freudian slip about what I used to do. Anyway, um, I do think it's worth noting that there are some folks who work in service who are concerned about it. Of course, it is overall a good thing. Some folks that are concerned that because... People will know they're getting paid like a higher wage that they won't tip mm-hmm. as well. Um, mm-hmm. So just something like to note and keep in mind. Um, I guess what I think about that is that like the same assholes who under tipped before will probably continue to under tip. Yeah. And people that like appreciate service yeah, that would be will continue guess. to do so. Yeah. Yeah. Or I think if you like understand what's going on, which is essentially that before employers were just allowed to like steal some of their wage and now mm-hmm. that's not happening, but you should still tip. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. Um because yeah, I was just thinking about it a lot, especially since this past and I've seen different conversations, but I'm like, yeah, I just feel like the same assholes will keep being assholes, but like yeah. they weren't tipping when you made five dollars. They're they're probably just still gonna barely tip at fifteen. But yeah, exactly. I feel like people who understand are not going to be like, never mind, you don't need a tip. You make minimum fucking wage. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, well, I wanted to move on to a section that I'm calling gay wins. Um, <laughs> so to start us off, Maura Healy won her election to become governor of Massachusetts, which is very exciting because she is both the first woman governor and the first LGBTQ governor of the state. And she's also the first out lesbian governor in U.S. history across the country. Hell yeah, Maura. Let's go, lesbians. Yeah, like, 
Great, great day for lesbians. Um, she also was previously the first queer person to be elected attorney general of any state in 2015. So she's had a lot of firsts. Um, Healy's opponent, Jeff Deal, got less than 40% of the vote, which, you know, rough for him. Um, he's, you know, a Republican in Massachusetts. So I feel like he just has a losing kink, probably. Um, he also unsuccessfully challenged Elizabeth Warren for her Senate seat in 2018. So, you know. Losing kink sounds right. Yeah. Love love that for Jeff. Um, he's having a great <laughs> time losing. Um, there is also another lesbian running for governor. Tina Kotek is running for governor of Oregon. So she might join Healy as the first two out lesbian governors at the same time, but that race is still too close to call. So let's go lesbians. But yes, it's very exciting. Um, and as a side note, the Oregon house where Tina Kotek is running um, is already majority women. It's one of just four states where that's true. The others are Colorado, Nevada, and New Hampshire, which I just thought was a fun fact. And speaking of New Hampshire, they just elected their first openly transmasculine state lawmaker, James Rosner. And yes, he has a bridge piercing, which we love. <laughs> um, Rosner will be the first openly trans man to join any state legislature in the entire country. Um, and this was a pretty important race. His opponent, Republican Dennis Soucy, supports banning first trimester abortion. He supported don't say gay style laws and bans on like teaching about race essentially at all. Um, <laughs> Soucy also said that police brutality was, quote, not an issue in New Hampshire, which is yes. obviously very disturbing. So Rosner ran in opposition to those things. His campaign website notes specifically his support for reproductive justice using that language and, quote, robust protections for reproductive health care, including but not limited to abortion, which I think is just it's really nice to see that um, mm -hmm. from like an actual elected officials website. Um, he also wants to protect teachers' right to discuss racism, slavery, and civil rights in the classroom, as well as being able to talk openly about queer and trans identity in the classroom. So we love to see that. Um, I just wanted to do a quick check-in on where we're at with trans politicians in the country generally. Um, it is being reported that the most trans candidates ever have run for office this year. Oh, wow. um, 140 trans, non-binary, gender non-conforming, and two-spirit candidates ran for office in 2022. So that includes also like local elections, like community mm -hmm. board and things like that. Um, if that number sounds like absurdly high, which it did to <laughs> me at first, because I'm like, I haven't heard of any. Um, and there also is one intersex candidate running. Um, so this represents like a record breaking number of non-cis candidates. And since we saw the first trans man elected as a state legislator this year, let's talk about some other firsts, which also have happened pretty recently. Mm -hmm. um, Maury Turner became the first non-binary state lawmaker in 2021 last year um, after they were elected to the Oklahoma House of Representatives, which like go Oklahoma. <laughs> um, for that one, at least where Turner lives. Um, yeah. they're, they're also the first Muslim member of the Oklahoma State Legislature, so oh, wow. that's cool. Um, and of course, Danica Rome iconically became the first trans woman elected to a state legislature in 2017. 
Um, there was another trans woman who held office before her. Um, Althea Garrison was elected to the Massachusetts House of Representatives in 1992. She was closeted at the time for obvious reasons. It was 1992. But she was actually outed by the Boston Herald after her election. And sadly, she only ended up serving one term and wasn't reelected. Um but despite running as a Republican, she was a big supporter of labor rights during her brief time in office. And since then, she's run for office somewhere between 30 and 40 times, but has never been successful, which has kind of led to her uh, receiving the similar label of like perennial candidate, serial loser um, type thing. But Garrison was finally able to serve as an at-large member of the Boston City Council just recently in 2019. Um, she filled the vacancy that was left by Ayanna Presley's election to the House of Representatives. Was which... she um, a Democrat at that time? She, she was started? a Democrat at that okay. time. Yeah, so she switched parties. That makes um, sense. <laughs> she, she has also switched parties a few times. Um <laughs> <laughs> Which I think is part of why people are like, you you just want to run for office, essentially. Yeah. Um, but the fact that she finally like was mm -hmm. actually elected for something in 2019 mm -hmm. just kind of feels to me like this amazing full circle moment for her political career, like getting mm -hmm. to join this newer wave of trans people being elected openly as who they yeah. are to office. Mm -hmm. Um and don't worry, she is no longer serving as an at-large member of the Boston City Council. And the next year, she was right back at it again, running for something else. So <laughs> even though she's like 82 years old. Um, oh. So Althea is going to be around for a while. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it feels like Rome's election was a first that took so long to come. And now we're really seeing like a lot more trans, non-binary, intersex people running for office mm -hmm. and largely bringing like the progressive or even explicitly socialist or leftist politics that queer and trans people do disproportionately support. So I think that's exciting to see. And I mean, hopefully, if this continues, it can be a great way of like, getting better policies for all of us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And on the topic of better policies, we wanted to conclude by looking at what was going on with abortion, which was on yes. the ballot in several states this week. So both California and Vermont passed constitutional amendments um, enshrining abortion rights via ballot measure on Tuesday, which is like not hugely surprising given the political makeup of those states. Um, and bigger questions surrounded abortion in other places, um, including Michigan and Kentucky, but in both of those states, voters moved to protect bodily autonomy. So I just wanted to talk a little bit about Michigan and Kentucky and also something else that was going on in Montana. Um, so in Michigan, the question appeared as Proposal 3 on state ballots, which offered to constitutionally affirm, quote, an individual right to reproductive freedom, including a right to make and carry out all decisions about pregnancy, which in effect puts a right to both abortion and contraception in the state constitution. And this measure carried by 12 points, which is pretty significant. Um, before this, Michigan had a law in the books from 1931, which prevented abortion in all scenarios except to save the life of the parent, which had not obviously been enforced for 50 years because it had been invalidated by the Supreme Court's decision in Roe v. Wade. However, when Roe was overturned this summer, the 1931 law seemed primed to kick back in, which created this whole big like legal firestorm as advocates moved quickly to prevent this like almost 100-year-old law from reestablishing a near total abortion ban in the state. Um, a judge did 
temporarily block the law, but that ruling was being challenged and could have been overturned, which would have resulted in the criminalization of abortion in the state if there wasn't a different measure that was passed to repeal or override the 1931 law. So with Proposal 3's passage, Michigan will now be a safe haven for people seeking abortions, especially with neighboring states, Indiana and Ohio, currently in legal battles to ban the practice. Um, On the flip side, there was a different kind of ballot measure that was up for a vote in Kentucky on Tuesday, and this one attempted to amend the state constitution to explicitly forbid abortions. Um, The amendment was voted down by about a 5% margin, which is not huge, but was enough to prevent a disastrous constitutional amendment that would have created a total ban on abortion in the state. Um, So while that is obviously a victory and we're happy to see it, it is worth noting that this does not mean that Kentucky is now just like offering abortions willy nilly. Um, Kentucky was one of the states that had a trigger law in effect, which for people who don't remember was basically a law that was passed while Roe v. Wade was still in place that would immediately go into effect banning abortions if the Supreme Court struck Roe down, which as we know it did this summer. Um, Kentucky's particular law bans all elective abortions. Um, So anyway, abortion is still essentially not legal in the state, but at least it's not specifically unconstitutional. Um, (laughs) That's something. So... We'll take Another it. thing that, yeah, like is worth noting about this, though, is that as we talked about earlier, Republicans won big in Kentucky in this cycle, like Rand Paul beat Charles Booker by about 20 points. So to have Paul win by 20 points, but have abortion restriction lose by five suggests in some ways that Republicans most extreme positions are not palatable even to a great number of their own supporters. Um And the final thing to note on this topic is that Montana had a ballot measure that respected healthcare providers. And I just want to quote New York Times, the New York Times coverage on this issue to explain kind of what that looked like. So the New York Times said the measure would enact a law making any infant born alive at any gestational age a legal person, a protection that already exists under a federal law passed 20 years ago. It would criminalize healthcare providers who do not make every effort to save the life of an infant, quote, born during an attempted abortion or after a labor or C-section. Doctors are say they are concerned the law will limit palliative care for infants who are born but who will not survive. Um, at the time of this recording, it looks like voters in Montana are rejecting this ballot measure by numbers similar to what we saw in Kentucky at about five, a margin of about 5% against it. So there's still votes that are left to be counted. It hasn't officially been called as of the time that we're recording on Wednesday. Um, and this measure, it's not clear that it would have actually changed a whole lot, given that there already is a federal law to essentially the same end. Um, it was it seems like much more of kind of a culture war type thing than like something that would have material effects except potentially to make it even harder as i said earlier for doctors to give care to infants who are born um with significant you know health problems that are likely to pass away quickly um so again like in Kentucky's case this is not like a major this doesn't change a lot, but it is reassuring to see some of these more draconian measures being voted down when they are put to a popular vote, even in situations where um, voter suppression is often at work. Um, 
And uh, the last thing I wanted to know is just that Lauren Boebert, famed um, fascist, uh, lost re-election. And that's kind of fun. We didn't need to go into it. She just sucks. (laughs) And uh, she lost. So that's great. Um, All of that being said, is there anything else you wanted to mention before we close out here, Ozzy? Zoe? Well... I just wanted to let everyone know that you can express your support for us in the mm. election of your hearts by going to <laughs> patreon.com slash season of the bitch. Yes. Um, you sign up to support us there. You can join our discord um, where we'll certainly be talking about all this stuff as some of these results actually start to come in um, and possibly, you know, some of them already have by the time you're hearing this, but you can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at season of the B. Um, and rate, review, subscribe, all of those good podcast things in your little podcast app, in your phone. And, you know, tell us who you voted for, I guess. Maybe tell us what you were most excited to vote on, because that's something I struggled with this time. Like, <laughs> this is all just, like, really bleak. And, like, I guess I'll vote for this person because they're <laughs> less bad than the other person. Yes. I saw a tweet that was like, there should be um, uh, a line on the ballot that says Democrat, but you check a box that says, but I'm also mad at you. Mad about it. That's the funny thing is in New York, that sort of exists because there's the Working Families Party, which is like, essentially, you can vote for the Democratic candidate and have your vote like count the same, but just like, it sort of helps like the Working Families Party get funding um Mm. if you vote on their line so it's kind of like being like yeah i'll vote for this person but like i also still don't really want the democratic party to have my support exactly like i'll vote for you but also fuck you a little bit um yeah exactly yeah you can um send us money whether you like us or want to say fuck you a little bit it doesn't matter to us just yeah we'll take it you can do a fun like rick caruso hundred thousand dollars to abortion (laughs) (laughs) measure in california (sighs) oh my god all right well well that's about it for today love Love you you all Bye. bye Bitch.